everyone. I want to welcome everyone to our first Turbulence Training Members Teleseminar. This is Craig Valentine from ttmembers.com. I want to thank everybody for joining us live tonight, and also I want to welcome everyone who's listening to this MP3 later on uh, around the world that couldn't make it tonight. First of all, I just want to start with a bit of a funny story. Today I took my dog to the vet, and uh, the vet rubbed his belly and said that my dog had rock-hard abs, so... You don't understand how proud that makes me feel. Anyway, so we're just going to move on in, and we're going to start with the background of turbulence training. I want to go through some goal-setting stuff that I've recently learned listening to other people's CDs, talk about the cardio mindset and beginner intervals, then get into some sample workout structure, because that's often a problem, a miscommunication between myself and what I've written down and what people understand in the manual. It's something I have a bit of a hard time getting through to uh, people that are new to it. Then I want to talk about uh, turbulence training boot camps because there's been quite a few questions came through recently on how to set those up. And then another common question, which is how much weight to use in each exercise and when to increase the weights. And then I promised the Goldilocks training system. We're going to go through that and simplify some of your uh, questions about how much to do. And then if we have time, we're going to get into some supplement stuff and some female fat loss questions. So it depends on how quickly I get through all the other stuff. I probably will open the call up for questions later on if there's anybody that does have any questions that uh, they haven't put through yet, and we can uh, go through there. So let's start with the background of turbulence training. If you haven't heard a call with me before, you haven't read too many of my articles, then you might not be familiar with how I came up with the whole concept. And it's very important to understand because it kind of gives you a reason why, obviously, with the, the way we do things the way we do. So my background is that I started doing the traditional bodybuilding at about age 15. Started out at home with a weight machine and then moved quickly within a couple of months into uh, the local YMCA with a weight room free weights, bench press, squatting, deadlifting, all that type of stuff. So from the beginning, it was the basics, and I was, you know, raised on that. And I was reading a lot of the muscle magazines, from the Arnold Special in Muscle Mag to every muscle and uh, fiction or muscle and uh, fitness, whatever you want to call it, that I could get my hands on. So again, it's still about the basics, about lifting weights and getting stronger and putting on muscle mass, and at the same time, I got very interested in the calories, uh, contents of food, so I was keeping my eye on that, and one tip is that the more you know about nutrition, obviously, the, the easier it is to stick to your diet and, and to your calorie levels, because you can pretty much, once you understand how many calories are in certain foods, you can eyeball foods and get a good understanding of how many calories are in that, that serving. That being said, you can be tricked, obviously, by the portion sizes that we get nowadays, but it is very helpful, and this is, pretty, this is an obvious statement. The more you know, the better off you're going to be. So if you invest a bit of time now in educating yourself about nutrition and training, that's going to pay off a lot in the long run. So whether it's precision nutrition with John Berardi's program or whether it is Simply reading anything you get your hands on, the more you know about nutrition, the better off you're going to be. So I began my education way back then. Uh, from there, we went into more of an athletic uh, training for a sport, so athlete training approach, 
getting more into the interval training stuff. So this coincided with me getting into university, starting kinesiology program at McMaster University. And from there, I was doing a little bit too much uh, longer, slow endurance training because I played a lot of soccer. So I used that specifically as my training method. But the one year that I did that, I realized pretty quickly it wasn't the way to go because even though I did a lot in the off season and some of the other guys didn't do as much, I wasn't any faster and the guys caught up to me pretty quickly in match fitness. So because we went to some higher intensity training in our practices. So that is an important thing. For, that was an important step for me because I realized that all this uh, long, slow cardio is not what it's cracked up to be in terms of fitness. And also I just realized it in terms of fat loss as well anecdotally there and also just observing there's a, a you can learn a lot by watching what other people do so that coincided there with me getting into graduate school and starting in graduate school was the same time that Mark McGuire was on his home run chase and the uh, supplement interesting down came up so we started doing a bit of a research study on it and we had some young guys go through some pretty hard weight training sessions using the supplement and using a placebo, and we monitored their testosterone levels to see, you know, just what kind of boost Mr. McGuire was getting from the Androstine Dione. And it turns out uh, now everybody knows that it was a, pretty much a useless supplement. While I was doing that, I was spending a lot of time in the lab because we were running these blood assays, and you'd throw them in this, uh, you'd make them radioactive and throw them in a, what's called a gamma counter and you leave them in there for about an hour and you know while you tidied up the lab and got ready for the next batch but I would find about 45 minutes to get over to the to the gym and I was doing these like I would get in like 7 a.m. and leave at like 11 or 1 from the lab for a couple of weeks and it was getting pretty brutal because you're used to as a university student you're obviously pretty active if well you know considering you come from an athletic background you're pretty active and it's really annoying to get out of fitness. So from the athletic background I had, the bodybuilding background I had, the kinesiology background I had, the experience I had doing a bit of personal training and also starting to work with the athletes, high intensity was the answer. It was simply the only thing that could pull off a great workout in a short amount of time. And when I say high intensity, it's different than what I term high effort. I mean, obviously it takes a lot of effort to run a marathon, but it's not an intense activity if you can do something for three hours straight. So those are the definitions I work on. Other people might have different definitions of high intensity, but those are my definitions. And since it's my teleseminar, I get to use the definitions I like. So that's what I refer to as high intensity training, uh, something that you can only do for a short amount of time. <clears throat> So in our case, it's going to be about eight repetitions per set for our strength training. Obviously, if you're a power lifter, that's not high-intensity training. And for our interval training, for our cardio, we're doing, generally, we're doing high-intensity interval training. But in the case of beginners, what I'm going to talk about later, all that matters is that it's higher than normal intensity because beginners can do interval training. So from there, from my personal experiences with the, pro, with the type of training, I gradually refined it to uh, people that I worked with. And around 2000, I started writing for Men's Health, just submitted something for one of my newsletters, and you know, got in well with Lou Schuler at the magazine. And from there, because it, it just happened to be at the same time that he was changing his 
mindset on strength training. So it really worked out well. The timing, I got kind of lucky there. And from there, I just uh, developed a good relationship with them, and we put turbulence training principles in, in the magazines. But it wasn't until about 2004 that we actually had a turbulence training workout go in one of the magazines, and that was for men's fitness. And obviously, the same time, I'm using this on men and women, and I'm refining it from being more of a barbell training program that I used when I was in, in the gym to dumbbells and body weight because those are the equipment uh, methods that are available to the people that we generally work with. So that is the long history of turbulence training, and from there, we've used the principles for muscle building, for training athletes, for fat loss, and the principles remain the same for women, but we're going to talk about the female-specific programs later on. Next, I want to move into goal setting before we get into the actual physical component of the training session and what I refer to as the right way to set goals. Now, first of all, people that have written goals have a greater chance of success, whether it's in fitness, whether it's in business, whether it's in any aspect of life. Research does show written goals are very important for this. So if you aren't writing down your goals, do so. Be specific with your goals. I mean, everybody, generally everyone who's read a fitness article comes across something called the uh, SMART principle for goal setting, which is specific, measurable, attainable. Uh, can't remember. Tra I don't think trackable is one of the other ones. But basically, you need goals written down so you can have something to shoot for. And specific is probably one of the biggest Specific and measurable are two of the biggest keys there. But recently I was listening to a business CD and they were talking about the importance of having visual goals. So if anybody's watched the movie The Secret, they saw this one guy had a uh, what's called a vision board. Or, yeah, I think it's a vision board. And it's you put up pictures of what you want. And this other CD was talking about how people do succeed better not only with written goals, but also seeing a picture of what they want. So applying this to our goals of fat loss or gaining muscle, there's a couple ways we can do it. One, you can cut out a picture from a magazine, but I think that will only go so far. I think the most important thing, if you have access to this, is to have a picture of yourself. It, let's say you want to lose 10 pounds and look like you did two summers ago. Then it's really important, I think, to get pictures of you two summers ago and put them up in a place where you'll be able to review that on a daily basis, maybe even more than daily basis, you know, in the morning, at night. And so that's one of the latest things I have on the goal setting, is try and find a visual representation of the goal that you want to achieve. So if you can do that with your own picture, that is best. If you can't, then maybe cut out a picture from a magazine, maybe put your head on it. You know, you can do that even with Photoshop these days. Or, in the worst case scenario, just cut out a picture of whether it's the body you want or whether even if it's, maybe it's even the destination you want to go to that reminds you of the goal that you want to achieve. And so you're going to make your video your vision board, and you don't have to, you know, post that up on the board at work or anything, but you can just keep that, you know, uh, even if you carry it around in your wallet or your purse, just as a reminder to keep you on track with your goals, and that's the same reason that our written goals work, because we can review them, and it keeps us focused on moving ahead. And then finally, the other thing I want to talk about with goal setting is what I call the right way to set goals, and that's 
reverse goal setting or setting the steps to your goals by working backwards from the final goal. So let's say specifically you wanted to lose 15 pounds in three months. Well, we work from the 15 pounds away. So you know that if you want to lose 15 pounds in 12 weeks, then you have to have lost about 13 or 13 and a half pounds in 11 weeks. And then you just goal set back. After eight weeks, you probably have to have lost about 10 or 11 pounds. After four weeks, you'd have to have lost four or five pounds. And you work backwards from there just to know exactly where you should be at each stage. And then you can also modify the behaviors that you're going to have to make at that stage. So in your later stages, you know that you're eventually you're going to have to make some more advanced fat loss changes if you want to make advanced fat loss goals. For example, the advanced fat loss method that I talked about from our December experiment was substituting fruits and vegetables for all whole grain products. So instead of having serving a pasta at dinner, we would have probably two servings of fiber-rich vegetables because that will help us as we get into our more advanced fat loss stages. So when people email in or post on the message board that they want to lose that last little low, bit of lower abdominal fat, then I call that an advanced goal. And if you want to have an advanced goal, then you must have advanced fat loss strategies, such as the fruits and vegetables recommendation that I just made there. So with reverse goal setting, again, this applies to not only fitness, but also it could be launching a new product in your business or finding a home. You have to know the steps not only at the beginning of the program, but also the steps near the end of the program. So for that 15 pounds of body fat loss, it might coincide with a trip to the beach. So you also have to know what you want to do near the end to maximize your results. And uh, if you haven't already, read Brad Pilon's interview on ttmembers.com. It's one of the first interviews I posted, so you have to check the archives. But he talks about how it's very important for people to also make some lifestyle changes that help them realize that they have made changes in their body. Because he's done a lot of uh, recording of fitness models and people in transformation programs with uh, the BODPOD. He's done some really consistent and reliable measures. And he knows that people are making changes, but when they do something like add a tan or buy some new clothes, that that is the extra little boost that allows them to see the changes in their body. So if you haven't um, noticed this before, it really does make a difference when you have a tan, when you've made some body composition changes. So that, getting a little bit off track there, but that was referring to if you want to look your best and lose your 15 pounds and you want to be on the beach, and there are some things that you have to time and coincide. So work backwards for your changes and for what results and benchmarks you have to make. So let's move into now, we're going to talk about more of the physical aspects of the turbulence training system. And this is going to be a bit of mental and physical, but we're talking about why the cardio mindset can hurt the fat loss efforts. And in this one I'm referring to the cardio mindset being that long duration break the body down, uh, punish yourself for eating too many calories by making yourself exercise. I mean, that uh, in most people, that's not harmful, 
But in some people, obviously, they've taken it too far and can lead to uh, quite a vicious circle. And then I know that I've been in gyms where people have, uh, women in particular, that obviously have eating disorders and exercise disorders. Because some people take this a little too far, this cardio mindset of, well, I ate 1,000 calories um, too many at the big dinner last night, so I'm going to go and do two hours of cardio today. I don't like that mindset one bit. And I think it's the wrong way to live, it's the wrong way to plan your programs, and it's the wrong way to exercise. So for my mindset, I try and keep it much more positive in that instead of thinking about breaking, those, breaking the body down and burning those calories off, I like to think positively and shuttling those calories into the right spot, which is what the turbulence training system is all about. Sculpting your body with strength training, whether it's body weight training or weight training, and shuttling those calories into your boosted metabolism. So helping using those extra calories to repair your muscles and regenerate the energy that you, you burned off during the session. So it's a different mindset and the cardio mindset and the cutting calories and starving yourself mindset that again I always say was really popular in the 80s and 90s. I always think have these horrid dreams of uh, headbands and leg warmers and one-piece bodysuits and endless step aerobic sessions and Diet Coke and rice cakes and all that stuff can, can just go away and not come back anytime soon. And, we can, and, and I like the way things are moving towards the thought of healthy fats and a more holistic way of eating with uh, you know, organic food or whether you're buying, I like this new trend of uh, buying locally and we really are looking at things in a more positive way. So, I mean, obviously this cardio mindset is still out there. But, you know, if I had my way, we'd help change our mindsets. And people that uh, live this cardio mindset are often the people that should know better uh, the most. Because, for example, in this one gym that I used to train at, there was one of the physiotherapists there who was addicted to exercise and, and did uh, at least, well, not at least, but she did at least one, she did a spinning class a day and sometimes two spinning classes a day, and literally, she could not walk properly, and she was a physiotherapist. She could not walk properly because she had done so many spinning classes that her hips were all messed up. And, of course, she would finish up her workout and go right to the Diet Coke, and that just drives me nuts. So I'm going to end it there on the cardio mindset, but I just want people to understand that they don't have to have that approach to fitness, that if we can live a little bit more holistically, we can look at the benefits of eating fruits and vegetables. Um, I like to think that people that aren't that are eating the typical Western diet just are really missing out on delicious foods. That I mean, organic blueberries, very tasty. Like trying to get that message through that really. We don't have to be thinking about sacrificing and cutting back, and we should really look on the positive and, and bright side of things so we can enjoy these healthy, nutritious, nutritious foods and have so much more energy and just live a better way. All right, enough of that. Let's move on into the beginner intervals. I get a lot of questions about how safe it is for a beginner to do intervals, whether they can do intervals, whether they should stick to the long, slow cardio. Now here we're going to take a look at first one of the reasons why I don't like the long slow cardio for beginners and it goes back to something that Alan Cosgrove um, 
pointed out to me in one of our early interviews I did with him, I think this was actually in my very first newsletter on workoutmanuals.com, if you check out the newsletter archives there, Alan introduced me to a review study that showed in one aerobic training study that there was a really high rate of injury in these sedentary individuals when they started a high-volume cardio training program, aerobic exercise training program. And it makes sense because when you do that, you're looking at thousands of repetitions per training session. And if you do something a thousand times and you're not conditioned to do it a thousand times, then you're going to end up with small overuse injuries. If you do that three times a week, obviously you have a pretty good risk of injury. If you do that five or six times a week, you have a really good chance of getting some type of overuse injury. Now, it's kind of like if it doesn't kill them, it's going to make them stronger. So, you know, some people get through it, but other people are going to end up with some type of injury that they'll either, you know, stop exercising and let it go away, or they'll end up worse, they'll end up in the physiotherapy office. <clears throat> Especially if somebody's 350 pounds. So with Alan's approach and with my approach, we use the strength training, and with beginners, the best strength training exercises can be done lying down on the ground. You can really get a great workout for beginner people with bodyweight exercises done lying on the ground, which is the exact the introductory level turbulence training workout where you're doing the lying hip extensions, where you're doing kneeling push-ups, where you're doing planks, side planks, bird dogs, stability ball leg curls. I mean, you're not even getting your back off the ground there in most of those exercises, you know, except for the planks and side planks and push-ups there. But you're lying on the ground literally and doing a workout. So for beginners, that's important because we're strengthening the muscles. And then we can go into shorter interval training sessions where interval training for a beginner is simply going to be like 0.1 or 0.2 or 0.3 miles per hour faster walking than they normally do. So if they can comfortably walk at 3.3 miles per hour, interval training for beginners is simply going to be 3.6 to 3.8 miles per hour. That's why I try not to use the term high-intensity interval training in all my articles and my manuals because sometimes it's not high-intensity interval training to me and you who might be able to sprint. So uh, it's just a difference change in terminology, but people shouldn't get so upset and bent out of shape that intervals can't be done by beginners. Next, another problem that uh, I have a little trouble communicating is a sample workout structure. And now in the latest version of turbulence training, if you've downloaded it, it talks about almost all the new manuals since I've updated the turbulence training for fat loss manual have also included this, and it's a sample workout. So it I've changed how things are set up in the manuals because I got too much feedback that I wasn't clearly communicating how these workouts should go, and some people end up doing three times as much exercise, so I really want to obviously avoid that, especially for somebody that's just beginning the workout. Now, everybody knows we need a bodyweight warm-up circuit at the start two times through, and this, you know, should take you about five minutes. So, for example, from the Turbulence Training for Fat Loss manual, I'm in this sample workout that I've written down on page 35, we're talking about the prisoner squat for 10 reps. Then we go into an easy push-up, whether it's kneeling push-ups or regular push-ups or incline push-ups, whatever you have access to. And we do another 10 repetitions there. We're just doing this at a control pace. And then we move immediately into a split squat or a stability ball leg curl, depending on how your strength levels are, what level of fitness you're at. So there we're hitting, what I, again, what I've mentioned before in many interviews is the hot zones of the body. Hot zones being... Basically, the torso, the chest, and the um, abdominal area, 
the upper back and then the lower body. So with the prisoner squat, we're getting the upper back and the lower body. With the push-ups, we're getting a bit of the abdominals, but mostly the uh, upper body pressing muscles and the shoulders and the arms. And then with the split squat or the stability ball leg curl, we're hitting the back of the lower body again. Now, I came up with this hot zone principle because when I would train people, sometimes in the gym, in the private studios, it gets very busy and you have to deviate from your workout a bit at peak times. And if that ever happened and we got derailed from our planned workout, I would do this mental image, this mental scan of somebody I was training to make sure that I hit all the major muscle groups. And I would, this kind of comes back, if you ever read a muscle in fitness magazine, there's a kinesiology department where they show uh, what muscles are worked and then it kind of, it highlights them in red. And I always thought that that's kind of like the hot zone of the exercise. So for a, I always like kind of scanned somebody's body that I was training and, and just made sure that we had some training in each one of those areas so that when they left the session, their entire body should be red or hot because it's been worked and turbulence has been put on that area so the metabolism has increased. So that's why I refer to this hot zone training. It just gets inside my mind a bit there with my program design. And then almost all the turbulence training workouts are designed to hit every single one of the hot zones in the body, with the exception of some of the upper and lower splits that I have um, in turbulence training 2K4, for example, or in the muscle mass programs where we might do an upper and lower body split uh, four-day-per-week program. So back to uh, page 35 and the workout design. Looking at the turbulence training strength workout, I'm looking at intermediate workout A. And we do dumbbell split squats for eight repetitions. Without rest, we go immediately to dumbbell incline presses for eight reps. And then we rest one minute. And that is one superset, and it's done three times. And the problem that I've caused myself is um, in the spreadsheets, I've put three by eight beside each exercise. And that just meant how many supersets, not how many times to do the exercise within a superset. So it goes exercise A, exercise B, rest. That's one superset. Then we repeat that two more times for a total of three supersets. So for any new people to turbulence training that might have thought it went exercise A, exercise B, exercise A, exercise B, exercise A, exercise B, rest a minute and then repeat two more times, that's not how it goes. So we're only doing each exercise three times. So after we do that first superset, I'm just going to go through the rest of this workout here. We do a stability ball leg curl for 15 repetitions, and then with no rest, we go immediately to push-ups for 15 repetitions, rest a minute, and repeat two more times. And then finally, we go through the same thing with the stability ball jackknife, no rest, dumbbell rear deltoid raise, 10 reps, rest one minute, through that superset two more times. <clears throat> and then we finish off with the interval training. And this should all be done in 45 minutes. And then we stretch the tight muscle groups only. So, for example, if you have very flexible hamstrings, and I use this one because that's the muscle group that uh, most people think of when they think of tight muscles. If you have really flexible hamstrings, there's no point in stretching them even further, especially if your quadriceps, on the other hand, are tight. So it's really just be judgmental, common sense, same as how we work on our weak spots with the strength training. We want to only work on our weak spots with the flexibility training. When I say weak spots, I mean tight areas. Okay, so that's the sample structure for the turbulence training workouts. Now we're going to move on into the turbulence training uh, boot camp questions that I received earlier today from some of the people on 
the membership site. A lot of people have asked me how they incorporate Turbulence Training Program and that style of training into a boot camp circuit. Well, that's going to depend on a few things on the number of people you have in your training session and also the equipment that you have. And this is good for people that don't run boot camps as well but want to train outside in the summer a little bit more. So you can just set up your station so that you're doing, instead of having a big circuit of like eight different exercises, you would set it up so there's two different exercises, but if you have eight people, four groups of two would be doing the same exercises. So instead of having, you know, a squat and um, maybe a jumping station and a push-up station and uh, maybe you have a pull-up station, you're at monkey bars or something, an abdominal station, you would just have, so if you, say you had eight people in your group, instead of having one person at each one of these eight stations, you would pick two exercises, put it into, and make four stations of the same two exercises, and then put two, two people at each station and have them do the um, superset, all as a group. So let's say you had push-ups and some type of squatting, then you would have one person in the pair do squatting and one person in the pair do push-ups at the same time, and then you would switch. And that builds a bit of camaraderie there, and I think that's very important in the boot camps, especially if you're doing women's only boot camps, which I was asked about, because social support, which I've mentioned so many times in the past, is so important. And if you can get somebody, at least one, preferably more, people in that boot camp losing weight and being, you know, kind of the role model, then more people are going to do better. Because that was one of the studies that I found in December that I've talked about a little bit, is that if somebody goes to a weight loss program with somebody else who's actually losing weight, then they have a greater chance of losing weight. If they go with three people and... It doesn't matter how many extra people go. If nobody's losing weight, they don't actually do any better. So try and get, you know, if you can, if you're a little bit worried about the people in your boot camp, you know, bring in a ringer that you know is going to lose weight, that you know that can lose weight, maybe a friend that's lost some weight in the past and got out of shape, and bring them in and have them start to lose weight, and that will help the success of your boot camp. But in general, most people are going to have some, uh, and, you know, most people in their boot camp are going to be successful anyways. But getting back to how you use turbulence training in it is instead of using the big circuit with all the different exercises at once, you just do two exercises at a time and have them do the superset. Now, this is going to obviously going to be a little bit more difficult if you are uh, limited by equipment. Like, say you have only one kettlebell, so you usually only use that at one station. Well, I guess you can also do, you can actually do four different pairings of exercises. This is a little bit hard to explain. might be better on paper, but try and stick to the superset principle. So pair people up and so that at each station there's one person doing one exercise and one person doing the other. And then instead of rotating through the stations in, in a big clockwise fashion, you just alternate. So you might do three rounds of that superset. And what we end up with there is a bit of a different type of effort because we have a, a more acute fatigue obviously because we're only working uh, two exercise, exercises at a time rather than doing push-ups now and not doing push-ups again for, you know, eight more exercises until you get back to the top of the circuit. So that's how I would do a turbulence training style boot camp. And again, going back to the turbulence training principles, we put the hardest exercises first. So that's why it's better to do um, everybody have the same two exercises in their little pairings there as opposed to having 
two people do abs at the start and two people doing the other another group of two doing squats and push-ups because those are obviously a more difficult pairing. So if you can have them do all the same exercises, otherwise choose different exercises, but make sure that the harder they're all hard exercises first, and then you uh, maybe make new sets of partners and give new exercises at the next round. And so it's more of a ladder style um, setup of exercises than a circular circuit. Again, it uh, would be a little bit easier for me to put this down on paper, and maybe I will for for um, a, a download, but. It, Again, it changes the structure and the intensity of the boot camp. I mean, obviously, both of them, as I mentioned before, they're high effort. Like a, a marathon is very high effort, as is a turbulence training workout. It's, they're both high efforts. But you can maybe get a little more high-intensity work in the structure that I'm trying to explain. Okay, so another person asked about four times per week with the boot camp. Well, you're going to have to be careful there because... If you're doing four times a week, obviously you're doing back-to-back -back days probably twice, right? So you're going to have to make sure that you set your boot camps up so that the muscle soreness from the day before does not impact the ability to, for somebody to go through the training session the next day. So you're either going to do an upper-lower type split, so one day you focus more on upper body exercises and then the next day you focus more on lower body exercises so you can do them without soreness. Or you're going to have to throw in a conditioning and torso day in there. So you might do uh, a strength training type boot camp on Monday. When the next day you do more of a conditioning type boot camp. And then you might do another strength training, uh, a rest day and then another strength training type boot camp. And then another conditioning boot camp to end the week. But avoiding muscle soreness by properly designing your, your different boot camp days. You can't go in and have them do the same type of boot camp four days in a week because I think you've run into a little bit of overuse injury risk there. So you have to plan things out properly. And another thing that I really insist on with trainers, and I'll talk about this at the advanced level first, is that you should have gone through these types of workouts yourself to know what is physically possible for your boot camp people to do. For example, I always run through the turbulence training monthly workouts before I unleash them on the people in the turbulence training membership. You know, obviously I've built these workouts based on workouts I've done with people in the past and that I currently use with other people in person, but everything gets tweaked a little bit and, you know, I put it all down on paper, but before I, I let people in the membership use it, I make sure that I do all the workouts and often with less rest than than is typically described, just to make sure that it's not too much training or too many back-to-back uh, -back workouts on a specific muscle group. And for example, in the May 2007 workout, I had to adjust down the volume of the lower body workout because what I had originally planned with the superset for the uh, split squats was just not possible. I mean, uh, the workout, as I originally wrote it, humbled me pretty quick and you know, without being a braggart, I'm in a little, a little more well trained than some some people that might be ready to use the turbulence training monthly workout. Although, judging by the numbers that some people have posted in our in our numbers post on the board on the forum, there certainly are some people that can kick my butt on some exercises. But that being said, always as a trainer, make sure you can do what you're asking somebody to do. And I said I was going to go through the advanced 
message of that first, and I just did. Like if for the people that are running the boot camps, you know what you're doing, and make sure you, you uh, your people are able to do what you're going to do. But for new trainers, make sure that you know how to do an exercise properly before you show it to somebody. Um, when I used to do my own workouts in commercial gyms, I would see this far too often that somebody was trying to teach somebody an exercise that they had never mastered themselves. And to watch somebody try and teach somebody to do a barbell squat who has no idea how to teach a barbell squat, it's a pretty sad event. It's um, something that makes makes me pretty upset because uh, you know they're paying good money to be taught an exercise and then this person can't even show them how to put the bar on their back and step out of the squat rack properly. And then from there, you can just imagine how ugly it gets on the descent. So for beginner trainers, make sure that you have mastered everything you're trying to show somebody. Very important. Okay, so let's go on to the next thing I want to talk about. Hopefully I've covered everything there in the boot camps. If I haven't or if I'm too confusing, which I may have been there, I admit, then please contact me on the membership uh, forum and we'll go over things a little bit more and maybe I'll, I can put that together in a document because that's probably a little bit better. Maybe even a video because we're doing quite a bit of video now. If you do have some video requests, send them in. Um, we're trying to get through some more. We're a little bit backlogged on them, but we're trying to crank out videos as much as we can because people are loving them and they're fun to make. Okay, next up is how much weight to use in each exercise and when to increase the weight. Really, it's impossible for me to answer when somebody in, uh, emails in and says, how much weight should I use for an exercise? Because it's so individual, obviously. A beginner is going to be able to use <clears throat> very little weight. Um, a guy who's been training for years, it might be tough for me to uh, judge his weight, what weight he should be using in the exercise as well. Always start conservatively. Start with the lightest weight, and if after one repetition you know this is not the right weight, it's okay to stop the set, pick another weight, try again. And within a couple of sec like couple of repetitions, within a minute, you'll know what weight you should be using. If you're a beginner, again, go lighter than what you think, just to be conservative. But I mean, that's all you can do is little, literally trial and error. I mean, with some exercises, I can I can guess what a beginner should use. Like for example, on a body weight or on a, a dumbbell squat, obviously first they must master the body weight squat. They can do that and 15 pounds for a beginner in the dumbbell squat is about the place they should start. Same with the, uh, the dumbbell chest press, probably about 12 and a half pounds for a beginner is a good place to start. Beginner, um, I think beginner females can pull off about 12 and a half pounds. <clears throat> but it's probably best that you simply start with the lightest dumbbells that you have access to, you know, provided that they are light, and just be very conservative. And make sure that you can do, if an exercise uh, has a body weight version, make sure that you can do the body weight version first before you add any weight. Now, when increasing the weights, it's a little bit more systematic in that if you can do all the sets with the, with the same weight, so if you can do three sets of eight for your dumbbell split squats with the same weight, then it's time to move up. Uh, I always like people to start with a weight obviously after they've done their warm-up sets, but start with a weight that allows them to do one more repetition than the exercise set calls for. So if you're doing a set that calls for eight repetitions, you should be able to do nine full complete repetitions with the weight that you're going to use in the first set. And by the second set, you probably will have a hard time getting your eighth repetition, 
And by the third set, it's not likely you're going to get a full eight repetitions. But that is okay. Now, if you're using a weight that only allows you to get two or three repetitions by the third set, then it's probably too heavy. I'd like you to cut back, <clears throat> even if it means not going as hard on the first set. But it would be relatively awkward, unheard of for somebody to be able to get nine repetitions on the first set and only three repetitions on the third set. Usually it's going to be about eight, seven, six, and that's fine. And then again, when you can do eight, 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 it's time to increase the weight. Obviously, it'll be easier in some cases uh, to make a jump from 80 to 85. It's not that bad. Or if you have plate mates, it's not bad to go from 40 to 42 and a half. But when you're making a jump from 20 to 25, it's difficult. Um, say, for example, for a woman doing chest presses and making that jump is pretty big. So in that case, it's okay to go 25 um, for your first set and then decrease the weight to 20 for the second and third set. So that's it for when to increase the weights and for when to decrease the weights. <clears throat> I want to go into this Goldilocks training here. And when I talk about Goldilocks training, I'm, I came up with this because I get a lot of questions about you know, how many days can I do interval training? You know, how many intervals can I do? Uh, how much extra of this can I do? How much extra of that can I do? How much is too much on my off days? Um, can I do bodyweight circuits on my off days? Can I do this on my off days? Can I do uh, this workout on my off days? Can I go to boot camp on my off days? In that case, I want everyone to take a deep breath and, and slow down a bit. And let's, you know, stick to the backbone of the turbulence training and worry first about the quality of the structured turbulence training sessions to make sure that you're not doing too much of something on off days that interfere with your turbulence training workouts. I mean, I know I even get into this. I mean, obviously, when I'm testing out some of those workouts, I'm trying to stick to my own regular workout schedule, and I know pretty quickly when I've uh, done too much on an off day. So that's why I call it the Goldilocks principle because everyone knows the story that she went into the Bear's house and tried the porridge that was too hot and the porridge that was too cold and then found the porridge that was just right and the same with the bedding. And that's what we're trying to go for with our training. We don't want to do too much and we don't want to do too little. We just want to do just right. And the cardio mindset is qual quantity. The turbulence training mindset of qual is quality. And not only in nutrition and not only in cardio but in strength training. <clears throat> So on non-training days, how active is too active? And the only way to really answer this is to say, if it interferes with your workout the next day, it was too much. And if it interferes with your recovery from your workout from the day before, it was too much. So very subjective, I know, but that's where monitoring your training and your nutrition comes into play and monitoring how you feel and keeping a workout journal and, like I said, just monitoring things so that you know if you did 60 minutes of walking, fast walking or hiking, and your workout the next day wasn't as good as it should have been, then you know that, you know what, 60 minutes of hiking is too much. You're only going to find out that, like, you're going to find out your weights to use by trial and error. And obviously be conservative with your trials and your errors. Same with the body weight circuits. We get a lot of questions on what body weight circuits 
should I use? Can a beginner use bodyweight circuits? Well, yes. What we're going to do there is make sure that we choose exercises that are correct for our fitness level. So for a beginner that gets a workout on the ground, obviously they can't do the bodyweight circuits where I talk about doing bodyweight squats and push-ups and lunges and split squats and step-ups because that's already a strength training workout for them. So bodyweight training is just this big gray area of what is strength training to someone and what is more of a repetitive interval training exercise. So for me, bodyweight squats are a repetitive interval training type exercise. For many beginners, bodyweight squats are almost a maximum strength exercise. So we have to be careful there. Again, be conservative, monitor your um, muscle soreness, your energy, your strength the next day, how it impacts your workouts, how it impacted your muscle soreness from the, from the workout you did the day before that. And that is how you can judge whether you've done too much or too little or just right. Now, again, it is very subjective and it would help if I was there to monitor your workouts and, and do so and be right there and plan all your workouts uh, based on your individual needs. But sometimes that's just, obviously that just doesn't work. Other people ask, how much cardio can we integrate into our non-training days without an ill effect on our turbulence training? And again, it comes back to, well, it depends on you. It depends on what you've been doing in the past. You know, for people that run 10 kilometers a day and then start turbulence training, well, you know, running 5 kilometers on their off days is not going to be a big deal. Even running 10 kilometers once they get used to turbulence training is not going to be a big deal. But for someone to go from 0 to 10 kilometers, obviously that's going to have an ill effect on the turbulence training workouts. How many intervals are too many and how often can they do interval training is a big question. And what we've done, what I've decided on is to cap the interval training at four days per week. And in the past, people have asked, well, does it matter if I do interval training after the turbulence training or on off days? And I've said in the past that it doesn't matter. And it probably still doesn't, but I'm going to say from for now that we're going to stick to interval training on the same day if possible. So if you really do have a choice and it's not a time limit, then just do the intervals after your training session and stay out of the structured workouts more days. So, I mean, that was one of the main reasons I put together turbulence training as it is because I wanted people to have more days off from the gym. I wanted people to be able to only do three workouts of 45 minutes to stop uh, having to go to the gym, whether it's at home or a commercial gym, and so they only needed to do those three structured workouts per week. And then I started, you know, we got into talking about whether or not it really mattered. Uh, as long as they do the intervals, it doesn't matter. Maybe it might even be better to do them on their off days. But now I'm coming back to quality over quantity and sticking to the three quality days per week. So, um, and I'm only saying that because I just think that if you have more rest days from high-intensity training, that your actual workouts are going to be higher quality. But I'm not saying that because I found people lose more body fat that way. Um, it really is just more into quality of workouts. But if you have anything to add on to that, that's something I want to hear back from people because we just I haven't been able to test it in as many people as possible. And uh, Alan Cosgrove is the other guy I know that is testing a little bit. Maybe we can get some information from him. But for right now, that's what I'd like people to do. So 
four days per week maximum on the interval training, preferably three, and six intervals per session is really all that you need. Um, when people tell me they're doing interval training for 45 minutes, then I know that you can do it if you're doing, if you're an endurance athlete and you're doing aerobic training intervals, which are, are possible. It doesn't have to be all anaerobic intervals. I mean, you can do intervals for two to three minutes hard, or harder than regular cardio anyways, and then easy for two to three minutes walking. And you can do about, you know, an advanced endurance athlete or marathon runner might even do up to, to 10 of those in a session. That'll take an hour. But when I hear people trying to do 45 minutes of interval training for fat loss, I think they're doing too much time and they should stick to really just the six all-out intervals in the regular session that um, I've mentioned. So six intervals is probably all you really need because if we take a look at those interval training studies that are showing better results in cardio, they're only doing about 20 minutes of interval training. At least that's from the latest interval training study from Australia that got a little bit of press back in November. They did a total of 20 minutes of interval training. They were doing... They were doing something that's hard to replicate on machines because they were doing eight seconds hard and 12 seconds easy, but they were still only doing 20 minutes total. So when people say I'm doing 45 minutes of interval training, I think they need to reevaluate the intensity of the intervals that they're doing and just eventually, I mean, there's, there's easily a law of diminishing returns. And the same goes with uh, strength training sets. Three sets of strength training is not better, not three times better than one set of strength training. And doing 12 intervals is not twice as good as doing six intervals. So, again, let's stick to six intervals. And that's going to be our standard for right now. And, obviously, if I learn anything to uh, new on that, you're going to be the first people to hear that. Uh, someone asked if someone is doing cardio intervals on separate days from weight training, would they do more intervals than if they were doing them right after lifting? And I would say, no, just stick to that short interval training session. And same with our body weight circuits, if we're using those on interval training days, <clears throat> we're sticking to about 15 to 20 minutes of body weight uh, circuits. Um, I'm just about out of time, so what I'm going to do is open up the lines. If anybody has any questions, we can go through that. I'm going to save post-workout nutrition and supplements and female fat loss for our next call. Uh, quite frankly, I might do these more often than once a month, and I'm going to try and get some guest speakers on here as well. So I'm just going to unmute this and uh, let other people have a chance to ask some questions here once I figure out how to do that. And we'll have about five or so minutes to ask some Okay, this is Craig. Anybody have any questions? That's your chance to ask any questions if you have them. Going once, going twice. Okay, I'm going to go back on mute and just talk about supplements there for a little bit. Okay, so somebody asked, well, first of all, what, uh, what, supplement, what role supplements have in turbulence training program? And 
I've covered that quite a bit, obviously, in, in the um, newsletters and stuff. We won't, shouldn't expect anything to help us lose body fat unless, you know, our bodies are so out of whack that um, maybe fish oils help regulate our, our um, insulin. But I think really that there's no supplements that are going to help us burn body fat, and we're using supplements only for health benefits. So fish oils are necessary if you don't eat fish. Um, if you're healthy and you can eat them or consume fish oils uh, and no contraindications, then, you know, Dr. Chris Moore recommends them in the Turbulence Training Nutrition Guidelines. Uh, multivitamin, multimineral is the common recommendation because we just want to make sure that everybody's getting everything. Some days you might not have time to prepare all your meals and, and get off track. But, I mean, really, uh, creatine I will use for people that want to gain muscle, Protein powders are only necessary if you can't get protein from your regular foods. And to be honest with you, most of the studies that I look at, when they take a look at somebody's regular protein intake in, in people that obviously aren't using supplements, it's almost as much as people need anyways. So if you're eating you know, chicken breasts and, and dairy products and lean proteins, I mean, most people are probably getting close to all the protein they need without supplements. But if you do need extra protein, then yes, by all means. Uh, I also have just started to use a Greens Plus product as recommended by John Berardi and his information. But again, com coming back to the basics, the supplements aren't a real big <clears throat> component of a turbulence training lifestyle. You certainly can get lean without them. And then post-workout nutrition, we talked a little bit about how much is enough. And this all depends on when you're going to be eating. So if you aren't going to be eating for two hours after you train, it's probably important to have a larger amount of carbohydrate and protein. Um, for most people, the chocolate milk will do fine. Now, if somebody knows that they're going to eat in an hour, then they probably don't need a whole lot of protein and carbohydrate to start the recovery process going. One of the problems with uh, the, the post-workout nutrition recommendations, and it's the same problem that led to cardio being recommended for fat loss, is that all the research for these methods was done for the purpose of improving endurance training. So we get all these recommendations on lots of cardio, but really the research was done on improving endurance training, and there was no real research on fat, exercise for fat loss, so I think they just gave these recommendations because the only thing that was studied was endurance training. And the same with the post-workout nutrition, it's that you know this massive influx of carbohydrate after training that some people recommend is really only important for endurance athletes that train with a high volume of training or train with repeated workouts. But for most people... All we really need to do is get a tiny bit of energy after training to start the muscle repair process. So a little bit of protein, a little bit of carbohydrate, and it doesn't have to be in a commercial supplement. And that's if you're going to eat a regular food meal you know, relatively shortly after, especially if you're training before breakfast or if you're training before dinner or you're training just before you go back to the office and eat lunch. <clears throat> and so you just... Again, look at what I talk about a lot is the big picture and fit your post-workout calories in the big picture. If it, 
your almost over your total calories for the day from your regular meals, then you probably don't want to add in a huge post-workout nutrition shake. So just what, get what you need. Uh, research really is pretty inconclusive on this uh, on post-workout nutrition. Uh, some people talk about stuff that is, is like it's set in stone, but it really is set in stone for replacing your glycogen stores. But for people losing fat, that's not really that big of a deal because by the time they train again, their glycogen stores, their muscle energy stores are going to be re replaced even if they just eat a regular food diet. So um, post-workout nutrition has kind of got this, you know, this big stigma around it, this big, you know, it's mystified, but it's, it's really something that's kind of been overblown. We just need to get a little bit in and we don't need to get too hyped up about our ratios and all that sort of stuff. Um, if you want to gain muscle mass and, then you just need to really cram it in at this time because I think it's a bit of, a bit of a magical time because it is a time when the muscle really sucks up the sugar, really sucks up the protein because the insulin is driven up by the carbohydrate and protein. So this is where I recommend guys that want to gain muscle and are having a hard time to really down the liquid calories. Okay, so that is – I'm going to cover the um, – Having covered the supplements in the post-workout nutrition, we'll save some of the female fat loss stuff for next time. And I just want to thank everybody for listening to the call, for submitting their questions on the message forum. Hopefully we won't have everyone be so shy next time when uh, it comes to the open mic. But again, thank you for joining us on the first Turbulence Training Teleseminar. Let me know what you think on the uh, message board. If I didn't cover what you want, as always, be, feel free to, answer, to post more questions and we will talk to you on the forums.